Chapter Twenty of Princess Mary's Gift Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Pam Castile. Princess Mary's Gift Book, Chapter Twenty. Fleur de Lis by Kate Douglas Wiggin. Fleur de Lis had been christened Marie Hortense Amélie Dupont, Marie for her mother, Hortense and Amélie in honor of the two Vicomtesses de Rastignac, sole survivors of the proud old royalist family in whose service Marie's mother and grandmother had lived, and into whose service Marie herself had been born. But when la petite Marie Hortense Amélie was a mere blossom of babyhood she forsook the name that the priest had given her as he touched her downy head with the holy water and chose instead to be called fleur-de-lis a name in sooth much better suited to a noble daughter of the rustignacs than to a child of marie dupont maker of tissue-paper flowers and pierre dupont street musician Fleur-de-lis had first opened her eyes in a very humble chamber, but it was large enough to hold a deal of sweet content, which grew all the sweeter when she came to share it. There were only two rooms for father, mother, and child, and these were in a dreary tenement-house, for Pierre Dupont, a stranger in a strange land, was having a desperate struggle with poverty. On being discharged from the hospital, where he had passed through the dangerous illness that left him a maimed and broken man, he had to begin the world all over again, and begin it single-handed, in very truth. There were few things to which he could turn his one hand. One of them was the crank of a street piano, and in a modest example of that modern instrument of torture he accordingly invested the last of his savings. He was much too good for it, but by regarding it distinctly as a hated object, which should be discarded the moment something better appeared, he mastered his aversion, and by wheeling it through the streets from morning till night, he managed to live, for there were always people who wanted to hear it, and others who did not, so that between the two classes he scraped together enough for his frugal needs. Marie was young and pretty and loyal and when affairs were most desperate she offered to take the baby fleur-de-lis and accompany her husband gathering the pennies in a tambourine while he ground so-called music from the piano with the left arm that grew so weary in the monotonous service but there was not a trace of the montebank in pierre dupont nor a drop of beggar's blood in his veins he was poor and crippled but he had still the self-respecting pride of the peasant whose people had served noble families, and who know what true nobility is. He could injure the dead and gone Rastignacs if he must, by trundling about a second-hand street piano, but he could at least spare them the insult of adding a monkey or a woman to the procession. So Maman Marie, loving him more than ever for his chivalrous regard of her, took up an almost forgotten pastime of her girlhood, and fell to making artificial flowers, which she sold to an old woman who stood on the street-corners and offered them to the passers-by. The two rooms in the tenement-house were as neat as care and thrift could make them. 
the windows opened only into the court it is true but pierre and marie did not need to look out of doors to get a pleasant view for they could look at each other and at the baby besides the glass was spotlessly clean and hung with equally spotless curtains the floors were uncarpeted but there was never a speck of dust on them the little kitchen where marie worked had a not unappetizing fragrance from the pot au feu that simmered on the stove it had also a gleam of sunshine in it for a few hours each day sometimes when pierre left his incubus for half an hour and ran home for a mouthful of bread and soup he looked at maman marie sitting by her table in the sunshine her scissors gleaming among the paper-flower petals and at fleur-de-lis sitting at her feet playing with the rainbow-coloured scraps and then he fell on his knees beside them and putting his arm about them both forgot that it was the only one he had forgot that he was poor and crippled and that the future was all uncertain remembering only that he had home and wife and child and that life with all its hardships was inexpressibly dear to him for it happens sometimes that a poet's soul is lodged in a very humble tenement and a love that would do honour to a knight blossoms and flourishes in the midst of mean and pitiful surroundings fleur-de-lis cradle had curtains made of a bit of tricolour and from the centre of the canopy there hung a medal of the virgin swinging on a narrow ribbon of blue the cradle itself was a wooden box, and Marie, with a maternal ingenuity that surmounted the lack of ordinary materials, had lined the inside of the hood with tissue-paper flowers, white and blue fleur-de-lis, to match those on the faded satin coverlet, a fragment of ancient grandeur where the Rastignac's coat of arms was intertwined with the Bourbon lilies of France and when the baby's vagrant gaze wandered to the flowery heaven above her head and her pink fingers reached to touch it and to stroke the soft counterpane mamma marie would tell her the name of the posies and so after a time when she discovered that people and things possessed names marie hortense amelie mademoiselle bebe elected to call herself fleur-de-lis it was the first word she lisped and attached it to herself with the utmost complacency it was appropriate enough for she looked as if she might have been originally intended for a flower and then somehow a soul had strayed into the flower and it had fluttered down to earth as a child a curious blossom to come from lowly stock a kind of tender and beautiful miracle wrought out of common clay by the fashioning and refining power of love at times when marie sat at her work and looked at fleur-de-lis cooing and smiling under her tricolored curtains she forgot the strange land outside the windows and the babble of strange tongues in the crowded tenement and as her deft brown fingers shaped the tissue flowers she saw in fancy the poppies and the wheat and the lilies of her native breton fields she saw the sun shining on the old chateau her mother hanging a chaplet on the baron's tomb in the little oratory, the aged baroness walking sadly in the plaisance. All, all were gone. The chateau was dismantled. The proud old family, rooted for centuries to the soil of Brittany, had gradually lost its land and its riches, till now there was only one frail old dame, poor and childless, to maintain the ancient title. 
all these memories half sad half sweet flitted in and out of marie's mind as she snipped and trimmed and twisted and shaped her head on one side to view the result like a little brown pheasant regarding a berry and if fleur-de-lis slept she hung a breton lullaby as she twined her paper nosegays what wonder then that there was a french air about them that attracted purchasers so hope clad in april green made life worth living for father and mother and as for fleur-de-lis she was a child and she had love and that was enough and it is sad when we grow so old that it does not suffice for us but these days so full of care and anxiety of weariness and self-denial tinged with happiness came to an end for when fleur-de-lis was two years old maman marie young and strong passionately in love with life desperately needed by husband and child had to leave them to journey on alone to another far country having just grown wanted to this then the light went out of the two little rooms that had been home indeed it seemed to go out of the world altogether hard times and yet harder ones descended upon poor pierre dupont marie's earnings no longer helped to swell the slender income and there were no willing women's hands to cut and plan and save to contrive and embellish added to this the piano suddenly grew uncertain and subject to grave musical lapses attacks of asphasia in the middle of some tunes and of asthma in the middle of others so that the hoot of the stony-hearted bystander and the ruffianly small boy became familiar to pierre's ears for he could not afford to buy new cylinders to fit into the old instrument and to keep it up to the demands of the street which is always delighted if you cannot sing the old songs and wishes the latest melody to the exclusion of everything else fleur-de-lis had been left in the care of a woman for many weeks after marie's death but the sight of her tear-stained face at night the tender frenzy with which she lifted her arms to her father when he came in the sob of joy with which she buried her head in his coat the sigh of content with which she stroked his cheek between every mouthful of bread and milk as she sat on his knee eating her meagre supper all this was too much for his loving heart he had a small sum of money that he had been hoarding to attach annie rooney and comrades to his unfashionable instrument that he might appease the public by the gratification of its darling wishes and withdraw the boulanger march from its sated ears this money he took and went to a carpenter's shop in the neighbourhood after many explanations in his broken english and many diagrams rudely drawn on paper the carpenter succeeded in building a primitive sort of baby carriage on one end of the street piano it had two wheels of its own and moved somewhat in harmony with the ancient instrument which had its difficulties of locomotion nowadays as well as its musical weaknesses it had a drawer in which fleur-de-lis playthings were kept a battered doll and boxes of her favorite scraps of bright tissue paper the top of an old cotton umbrella and a square of rubber cloth like that which covered the piano when it rained here fleur-de-lis sat for many hours each day happy and content pierre would often take her out and let her toddle by his side until she was tired when she would ascend her throne again 
She wore a faded corduroy jacket and an old woolen cap, but the flower face that smiled above the one, and the shower of chestnut hair that fell from beneath the other, made you forget the poverty of her raiment. She was always clean and sweet and comfortable, for Pierre, with the gentleness and patience of a woman, washed and even mended, in a rough sort of way, that the child might not wholly miss a mother's care. Matters were going on in this way, rather from bad to worse, when one November day father and child turned off a side street and trundled into one of the fashionable avenues of the city. Pierre did not often wheel his piano in front of brownstone houses. It was too old and wheezy to commend itself to localities accustomed to Seidel's orchestra and the Hungarian band but he scarcely knew to-day whither his aimless feet were carrying him. For two weeks he had gone out in the early morning and evening, leaving Fleur-de-Lis asleep, and had spent an hour or two in a vain quest for employment. But his speech was broken, and he had only one arm. Small wonder that he failed when hundreds of men with two arms and nimbler tongues were seeking the same thing and failing. People generally told him that he ought to have stayed at home in his own country, where he belonged, but that, as he had not done that, his next best plan was to get back there at the earliest possible moment. If they had had time to hear his justification for cumbering the earth of this free country, he might have told them that he left France a strong young man, with a strong young wife, and nearly fifteen hundred francs for the inevitable rainy day, but that the rainy day had turned out to be a continual downpour. He was wondering, in a dull, vague sort of way, as they rattled along over the cobblestones, why there was not bread for the mouths that needed it. He wondered why, through no fault of his own, he should have been maimed and crippled, why the loss of wife should have followed the loss of limb, why there was not enough work in the world for the people who were willing to do it, why the children in the luxurious carriages that swept past him should be swathed in furs while fleur-de-lis's hands were blue in her ragged mittens the universe was a mystery to pierre dupont search it as he might he could find no key to its curious distribution of miseries and injustices it seemed to him that if some people would be content to take a little less there might be a little more for him but he was by no means certain of the soundness of this comfortable theory a little less gold plate on that harness, for instance, a yard less of lace on the gown of that lady just stepping into her brougham, a single diamond from her marquee ring. No, that superficial and snarling philosophy did not help Pierre. There was neither envy nor rage in his heart as yet, only a dull despair, a groping in the dark for a reason. Many of these fortunate people, he supposed, deserved their fortunes, and had earned them. They were cleverer than he, and had friends and opportunities not vouchsafed, perhaps, to him. But why, since he was not clever, and since he had neither friends nor opportunities, should he have been deprived first of his principal means of self-support, and then of his consolation, his courage, his other and braver self? And now it was the anniversary of Marie's death. That made the day even harder to bear, for in some subtle way the remembrance of certain hours 
or moments in a dear dead past is always more bitter when we say to ourselves with a sigh it was just a year ago nature was in no buoyant mood a cold drizzling rain which ought to have been snow fell from time to time the chill dampness made people draw their wraps closer and look drearily at the sky even the children appeared less joyous than usual men turned up the bottoms of their trousers and the collars of their coats and hurried past one another with a gruff nod that would have been a smile on a sunny day the bare branches of the trees shivered in the wind and a few snowbirds huddled themselves together cheerlessly here and there as if even they wished themselves farther south pierre took out the rubber cloth to cover his piano and as he did so he saw two children at the second story of a fine house nearby he expected to be ordered away by a butler in livery at the moment he disclosed the limitations of his musical instrument but one could never tell the butler might be wooing the parlour-maid so he drew up in front of the driveway fleur-de-lis had just walked several blocks and on being lifted into her carriage hoisted the dilapidated cotton umbrella and wrapped her doll in an extra bit of calico pierre turned the crank the piano began on love's young dream it seemed to him that with every revolution of the handle he twisted the cords of his aching heart and that presently it would break as the battered old cylinders threatened to do and for the same reason because alas too many tunes had been played upon them when ill-fortune descends too thick and fast upon the human spirit, unless it can draw fresh accessions of strength from within, from without, from above, it sinks inevitably into despair. Man may be conscious that he is made in the image of God, fitted to endure, to conquer all things, but for the time he is common human clay, he faints and dies, or falls into a cowardly lethargy that is worse than death such a moment had come to pierre dupont in his first crushing blow he had had a wife to stand shoulder to shoulder with him he had now his passionate devotion to his child but in cold and weariness in hunger and friendlessness ill fortune and despair would love be able to keep itself pure noble self-denying hopeful there were ways of forgetting of dulling one's self of blotting out memory for hours together his wants were comparatively simple but since he could not realize them why not give up the struggle he did not wish for a carriage or a palace he wished to give up his vagrant life for some labor by which he could maintain himself and give his child a start towards honest womanhood that was not extravagant surely and if god were indeed in his heaven and all were indeed right with the world it seemed to pierre that it was none too much to ask he finished love's young dream and began the boulanger march a young girl of eighteen or nineteen with an open book in her hand joined the children at the window she had a beautiful rather serious face and it brightened into amusement and then into earnestness as she caught sight of the quaint vehicle of the child under the faded umbrella and of the empty sleeve of the musician pierre ground on mechanically it was i dreamt that i dwelt in marble halls now and he hoped that a dime would be flung from the window before he came to within a mile of edinburgh town 
for that was the weakest part of his repertoire. The group still stayed at the window, and the crisis could not be delayed. The piano jerked through several bars, stopped and repeated, wheezed, and returned to the Boulanger march, then bounded again to Edinburgh town, and after several ineffectual attempts to finish it, made an asthmatic dash into no one to love. Pierre looked anxiously under the porte-cochere for the resentful butler, but the children shrieked with renewed delight, and the young girl, going away from the window, presently appeared running down the driveway and slipping on her jacket as she came. She approached the edge of the sidewalk, for there was no group about the piano, and after a brief interview with Pierre, she left a piece of silver with him and went upstairs to her mother. Janet Gordon was a great anxiety to her family. She was possessed of the most extraordinary ideas, and no one could tell whence they came, unless she became infected by them in some mysterious fashion, as one is by microbes. At all events, she had never inherited them in the legitimate way. At present, it is true, she had not been introduced to society, but unless a great change of heart should make itself apparent in a few months, she threatened to be no ornament to her set, and no source of pride to an ambitious mother. "'Please look out of the window, Mamma," she said, bringing a breath of raw air into her mother's flower-scented sitting-room. Mrs. Gordon rose languidly, her tea-gown trailing behind her. "'What is it? Anything more than an organ-grinder who has been rasping my nerves for five minutes? Oh, I see what you mean. What an extraordinary combination! A child in one end of the machine. Tell Heloise to give the man a dime, dear.' I have given him a quarter myself, and have had a little talk with him. He is quite different from the ordinary organ-grinder, Mamma. Oh, of course, said Mrs. Gordon good-naturedly. All your geese are swans, dear. A dime was quite enough for him. But he has only one arm, you see, Mamma. Of course. They never have. That is one of the tricks of the trade. They bind one arm down to the side, and then slip the coat over it. If you notice the man to-morrow, he will have the left sleeve hanging empty, and be playing with the right arm. It is more effective. I'm sure there is no deception in this case, Mamma. Well, have it your own way, child, but pray don't take off his coat to investigate, or you'll be catching some dreadful disease. It does seem strange that poor people should always be so odiously dirty, when water costs nothing. This man is as clean as possible, and so is the baby. Her name is Fleur-de-Lis. Is it not quaint? Just what I should expect. The dirtier and commoner they are, the more regal and fanciful are the names they give their children. I suppose your Fleur-de-Lis is redolent of garlic, like the pansies and violets of her class. No, she is not. She is as sweet as a rose, but her face is almost blue with cold. Of course, what can the man expect if he trundles her about in this weather? But I suppose he does it to enlist public sympathy. I wonder why foreigners choose this particularly obnoxious way of getting a living, and if they must do it, why they go about with a decrepit old instrument like that. Yes, his piano is very old, but he cannot afford to rent a better one just at present. He said in his broken English, 
I had not the Marche Boulanger, neither comrades, mademoiselle. It was then I had what you call bad luck, and now, mon Dieu, it is that I have not tararaboum dier. And as for the child, he does not allow her to take the money. I was dropping the quarter into her hand when he touched his cap and said, Pardon, give it to me, mademoiselle, s'il vous plaît. You see, if the monies keep putting in her hand, she will grow up one little beggar. She does not make the music, she does not push the piano, bien, she shall not take the monies. Extraordinary, murmured Mrs. Gordon satirically, as she fitted the cushions to her back more luxuriously. You must repeat that speech to your father. I actually believe that a new order of philosophic mendicant is springing up to match the new charity. The new charity does not wish to pauperize poverty, and the new poverty does not wish to be pauperized. It is really very amusing. He is forced to take the child with him because she has no mother, explained Janet. Of course she has no mother. They make it a point to have no mother, or if they have, they say they never knew who she was, nor where she is. They know where this mother is, said Janet gravely, for she died a year ago to-day. Really, Janet, you exasperate me beyond measure, talking with these low people, and allowing them to fill your mind with their falsehoods. What is it you wish to do? You have given the man a quarter already. That will quench his thirst for the present. Heloise, don't take Fifine out without her blanket. She has been shivering on the rug before the fire. Go back to your books, Janet. There will always be poor organ-grinders, and most of them will have lost some of their arms or legs, and all of them will have motherless or worse than motherless children. It's the way of the world, and if you had the wealth of the Indies, you could never set things right. And, Heloise, come back a moment. Tell Madame Labiche that all three gowns must be sent home to-morrow, and that I shall give her no more orders if she copies any detail of my costumes for her other customers. And don't forget the American beauties, two dozen, the longest stems, and give that piano child at the gate ten cents more as you pass. I know it is not right, Janet, but you are so insistent. The societies tell you never to bestow alms without first looking into the case and finding whether it is really deserving. But I am too weakly benevolent, and too lazy, besides, ever to restrain. Janet, are you mad? Close that window at once! And Mrs. Gordon almost shrieked as she held down her frizzes with both hands to shield them from the raw wind that rushed in from outside. She would not have spoken so peremptorily had it not been for the effect of the damp air on her coiffure. When her front hair was crimped and protected from the assaults of the atmosphere, she was an amiable woman and could discuss any subject with calmness, but deprive her of twenty little gold-wire hairpins daintily darned into her auburn frizzes and the invisible hairnet that Heloise pinned on with such nicety and she would not have listened to any argument in the world, even if it concerned the salvation of her own soul. "'I was only going to speak a word to the man, Mamma," said Janet apologetically. "'I believe you've been reading Tolstoy,' returned her mother, going to a mirror to repair damages. "'Heavens! What a fright you've made me! I wish those Russians would keep their universal brotherhood ideas and their cholera germs at home.' Dear Mamma, 
I scarcely know who Tolstoy is, except that he wrote a novel about Anna somebody that you will not let me read. I do not know what Tolstoy thinks about the wrong in the world, or how he means to write it. I am not as sentimental as you and Papa seem to fancy. I am not certain that I ought to wrap that cold little child in my new sealed jacket and run bareheaded by the side of the organ, collecting pennies for the poor one-armed man. I know that if I should go down into the slums, I should find a thousand others, and that if I worked from year's end to year's end, and spent Papa's entire fortune, I could not make them all comfortable. But don't you believe, Mama, when, once in a while, need, poverty, and sorrow seem to come directly in contact with plenty and riches and happiness, that it means something, and that we ought to stop and think out something special? Oh, I'm sure I don't know, child. You confuse me so with your persistence, and I can't think of anything while he sticks fast in the middle of Edinburgh town. Give him half a dollar, if you like, anything to get rid of him, though he succeeds wonderfully in amusing the children. I don't want to give him any more money, Mamma," said Janet with a sigh. I only feel as if I must not lose sight of the child. There, they are going. Pierre covered his piano, pinned the rubber cloth more tightly round Fleur de Lis's throat, and was preparing to move off in the direction of home, when Janet darted into the nursery, and flinging open the window in front of the children, called impetuously in her clear young voice, Bonsoir, Fleur de Lis, bonsoir, monsieur. Revenez bientôt, je vous prie. Pierre's face lighted with surprise and pleasure, and as he took off his cap he stammered excitedly, De bonsoir, bébé. Je vous remercie mille fois, mademoiselle. Je vais vendre. He wheeled his piano to the shed where he kept it under cover at night, and carried Fleur de Lis home on his arm. After he had undressed her and laid her in her crib, he took a crucifix from a drawer, where, in a moment of bitterness, he had hidden it the day before, and kissing it, restored it to its accustomed place above the head of his bed. And the anniversary of Marie's death did not go out in utter blackness after all, nor was it entirely because of the two pieces of silver that had unexpectedly swelled the day's receipts. He had felt the magic of a friendly voice. The beautiful little lady had spoken to him in his native tongue, she had drawn a fragment of his story from him, and thus relieved the weight of his heart. She had smiled on the child and kissed her. She had asked him to come again, and as he fell asleep he whispered, Merci mille fois, mademoiselle. Je reviendrai. End of chapter 20 Recording by Pam Castile End of Princess Mary's Gift Book by various.